0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: People are saying, oh, Tootsie, it's so funny, and how do you write all those jokes? But the truth of it is, they all come out of character. There's no joke in Tootsie that another character can say. I want to be a producer with a
0: hit show on Broadway. You're listening to the Producer's Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner, Ken Davenport. Hey everybody, Ken Davenport here. In just a few moments, we're going to get to the brand new Tony-nominated Mr. Robert Horn of Tootsie fame. Uh, He's going to tell you all how to make something funny, so you're going to want to tune into that. Uh, Before we do, this is your last call, your last chance to come to promote you. The only marketing conference specifically designed just for theater makers out there, actors, writers, directors, designers... Come this Friday, the 17th, go to promoteyouconference.com or just Google Promote You Conference. Get one of the very few remaining tickets left. We will see you there. We got some great speakers, including people like uh, Tyler Mound, Sierra Bogus, and a whole ton more. Promoteyouconference.com. Check it out. We'll see you there on Friday and now on with the podcast. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective Podcast. My name is Ken Davenport, and today we are very fortunate. Timing is everything in this business and in any business, and we happen to have one of the toasts of the town right here with us today. He's being called one of the funniest guys on Broadway. It's as if he was just discovered yesterday, frankly, but he's been doing this a long time (laughs) on both coasts. Please welcome recent Tony nominee, Mr. Robert Horn. Welcome, Robert.
1: Ken, so good to see you again after all these years.
0: I know. So Robert is, of course, the book writer of one of the season's biggest hits so far, Tootsie, uh, and I met him so many years ago uh, when he was on Thirteen, which was my very first producing credit.
1: Real, that was your first, wow! And mm-hmm. your first book writer, it was right? my. It was my actually third, uh, third. Uh, third. Yes, we go
0: for accuracy.
1: Here okay, so it was my third or twelfth, third. It was my third. I had done Day Med, and I just it wasn't mine. That was just working with Bear. and then I did Lone Star Love that. Old Randy Quaid, oh, uh, right. remember that situation? That was me. That was me in Seattle hiding from my life. <laughs> show that didn't come in yeah. because
0: he went a little bonkers. That's what,
1: yes, yes, it, yes. That is true. So
0: if we look at your IBDB page, like those would be the only Broadway credits: Tootsie, Thirteen Day Medina. But from what I hear, you've had your pen on a lot of other scripts over the years. Mm-hmm. There have Predatives. been,
1: there have been, and there's been a couple of, you know, we did Moonshine in Dallas, which may we'll have another incarnation, but yes, and but I I have been known to come in and sort of um, find some comedy for shows that come onto the the the, the Broadway
0: lacking a little
1: bit of that comedy. Uh that may lack that little comedy and and you know it I love doing it actually cuz it's just you're just coming in and writing jokes. It's not you don't have to worry about structure, you don't have to, it's just come in and help make this funny. It's actually a great gig. I just never can say what I what it is. <laughs> we'll talk about that off the record. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: uh, so though that joke writing skill of course was honed with a 20-year career, plus a year career in Hollywood on shows like Designing Women. But it felt like to me that you've always wanted to be here doing what you're doing right now. So how did you end up in Hollywood? Tell us how you got your start in writing and then ended up there.
1: Well, the, the long, short version of it is I started off here in New York wanting to be a playwright and could not... Couldn't get my calls answered. Nobody cared and, and went to LA because of a, a number of circumstances, um, and found this career in television accidentally, uh, and, and loved it. And I was a kid of, you know, I grew up watching television. I was a TV kid, did a lot of TV for a lot of years and, and through the help and grace of many, many fantastic people who, you know, took me under their wing. And then um, it, it kind of started, two things brought me back, which were, um, I was doing an animated feature that actually never moved forward for Disney, where um, my executive on it was Tom Schumacher. And Tom Schumacher, we talked about Broadway nonstop. And he he sort of helped me and taught me and guided me and said, this is what you should do. And this is, a, and introduced me a lot of people who, who then really helped my career. And then Bob Boyette, who I had an overall deal at Warner, Brothers when he was Miller Boyette on the Warner Brothers lot and the king of television. Uh, We got uh, paired together to do a pilot. That didn't go anywhere. But again, we became great friends and talked always about theater, theater, theater. And so when he moved to New York and became the empresario producer that he became, he remembered me because he's just a very loyal guy and said, I'm doing this project called Day Medina, Back with a Vengeance, and we'd love for you to come in and work with Barry Humphreys and see what comes of it. And gave me that and then gave me Lone Star Love and then gave me 13 and really gave me a career in theater.
0: So when you were struggling as a playwright here and then go out to Los Angeles and start to make it, what do you think was the cause of the struggle here? Was it timing? Was it you hadn't found what it... You were more suited for television than theater at that time?
1: You know, I, I didn't know anybody. It, at that time, you know, it was the it was the late 70s, early 80s. The, the industry itself was changing. I think the British invasion started to come in um, there. It was just a really hard club to break into, and I knew nobody. I didn't – and I just couldn't get a break, couldn't get a job.
0: So you've mentioned that a couple times now. You didn't know anybody, and then you go to L.A., and – you knew Bob, and how much of that still do you think is important today? Networking, in order to create, yeah. Obviously, you're exceptionally talented, but how much of success is dependent on these kind of connections
1: that you need to make. Well, you know, a lot of the, the, those connections I made a, a little bit later on after I had gotten some success in television is when I met a lot of these people. Um, I think success is always this serendipitous coming together of opportunity and ability. I think you hone your skills and even, I mean, I had some nasty jobs growing up. I mean, I, I had, you know, you do what you have to do and you learn your craft and you learn your skill and you and you then hope for and work for that opportunity where you're able to present that because I always say you can have the greatest opportunity in the world if you're not ready, it won't happen or you can have the greatest talent in the world but if you don't get the opportunity to do it, it doesn't happen. So it really is this sort of coming together of both those things. But it is, t- in many ways, you know, I think the world has gotten bigger and smaller. I think it is a, in an, it, it, it's somewhat of an incestuous community. It's about networking and having people take a chance on you and knowing everybody. Um, and that does help. But Uh, again, you know, nothing should have gotten me here except here I am. And it's, it's about will and, and attitude and never giving up and believing in yourself and knowing who to listen to and who not to, because everybody's going to have an opinion about your work and everybody's going to have an opinion about what you do. And it's important to listen, but also know what your voice is and what you want to say and how you want to do it. And that's what should always guide you.
0: What's the biggest difference between writing for television and writing
1: for the stage? Oh, money. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're very different. I'll tell you what the big difference is, I think, in television and, and film. When you, you know, your job is to put it on the page. Your job is to make sure that everything you need to drive that story, all the narrative, all the characters, all the, the, the situation, the conflict is all there on the page. In musicals, and when I say theater, I'm talking about musicals, the music has to deliver a lot of that narrative. So your job is to, the best way possible, get you from song to song, filling in all the information you need, but never being redundant because it's the song's job to give you that information. So you have to actually get out of your own way. And you have to not do what your instincts in Hollywood teach you to do is to make sure it's there. You have to step out of the way and let the song do that, but still be entertaining and still be funny and still get all the information you need to get you to the song or what the song doesn't give you.
0: And what about the process of writing in television? Because you're, I assume you, for those many years you were in a writer's room. Correct. There were a lot of writers throwing out jokes and ideas. Yeah. And then you're in the very lonely process of <laughs> yeah. writing a book to a musical. How do you go from one to the other? What, which do you like better?
1: Well, uh, they, bo- they both... Incredible. The oppor- I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity to do any of it. Truly, you know you you work your whole life for that. You just it's thrilling. You know I like both. I, I'm I'm not a sit in a, a room alone kind of person. I love a collaboration. But my experience in theater, especially on Tootsie, has been such a collaborative one. We're, yeah, David Yazbek and I, and then Scott Ellis as he came on, truly, truly worked on this. It, it was like a writer's room. We were on the phone every day, if not in person together it was really a collaborative thing. So it felt like a writer's room. It's, you know, and also in television, especially, you don't have a lot of time. You're turning out scripts every week. And when you're show running it, you're writing, you're editing this week's script. You're writing next week's script. You're, you're, you're working on last week's script. It's, it's a constant. You're churning it out in theater. You have time. David and I spent a year doing nothing but talking. Doing nothing about laying out the story. How are we going to do it? How are we going to turn this iconic movie into a musical? And so we had the the great thing about about theater is that you have time.
0: Do you ever think a writer's room would work for a musical?
1: Sure, why not?
0: Ten writers in a room and say, "Hey, we're turning Jaws into a musical."
1: musical. Go. Uh, well, yeah, yes. I think it can, I think a musical more than anything um, has to have a, a very strong point of view and it's the writer composer lyricist writer and then director's job to figure out that point of view but also you know when you do a writers room in television it's the show creator's point of view and you're you hire writers that can sort of bring their own style and their own talent to it but also uh support your voice as the creator of the show and i think that absolutely could work in in, in theater it's a it's a yeah Sure, why not? And it would give more people jobs, which I think is great.
0: they'd all have to split the money. That's the difference. That's the difference. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You said something that you and David Yazbek spent nothing but a year talking about. Take us back to the first conversation. You both know you're doing the show. All right. It's day number one. What's the first thing you talk about when you're this monumentous task of taking a Musical or movie
1: like turning into a Our first real conversation happened on what what I, I would call my job interview for for the job because David had already been hired and they were meeting with writers and Scott Sanders and Carol Feynman our producers, had come to a reading I did of *Moonshine*, the Harm musical, and saw it and said. I think that's the guy and went to David and said, we found that we know this guy. And David said, well, I don't really know him. Let me meet with him. And I was, I was so nervous because it's David Yazbek. I mean, you know, for Monty and, 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 you know, the cachet that comes with being David Yazbek and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And I was petrified because I was nervous about doing the project. That's a big target on your back. Tootsie is a big target. And so I went in and I sat with him and Right away, we started talking creatively. Right away, I said, look, I, I'm just letting you know, I don't have a desire to put the movie on stage. I would want to make it my own and honor the movie. And David said, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. And in that room, we started coming up with ideas. And that was actually our first development meeting because from there, we just kept going. And, and, uh, it was, it, David and I, it's, it's a lot of laughing when we're together. You know, David, David's first question whenever we pitch anything is always – he starts with this. He goes, I know we can't do this, but here's an idea. And that idea will always be something that we either end up doing or will lead to something great.
0: So that actually brings me to this next question. One of the things that's talked about the most, of course, is that you didn't take the exact plot of the movie that you changed. He doesn't want to be a – soap or doesn't become a soap star. It's all about Broadway. Did that idea – come in that very first meeting how did that develop
1: um it came very quickly we knew that the movie was afi's number two comedy of all time it is an iconic movie and it's perfect for the era that it was written in but we knew there was a lot about it that wouldn't translate to the culture we live in right now and where we are
0: you know what year was this when you were
1: hired this was three three years ago we knew soap operas which were a popular form of entertainment in the era of the movie in the 80s and and into the early 90s just they don't they don't have the relevance they did then and and none of us wanted to see fake cameras moving around on the stage I mean it just none of it felt right and you always have to, have to ask yourself when you write a musical why does this thing sing we have source material what music why does why will these characters break out in a song why will that uh, be part of the DNA of the piece and the idea of changing it To a musical did two things. It gave it a reason to sing. And it made all the other choices feel organic. But also, it then was able to become a love letter to American musical theater and to actors and to New York. And just by making that adjustment, it changed the whole perspective of the piece.
0: Now, you wrote, obviously, 13, which we worked on together. We did. this... Talk about the pluses or minuses or pros, cons of something totally original, like 13 was, It was based on a book, but you you don't have that target on your back with something like that title. Um, Do you like that kind of freedom, or do you like a story laid out a little bit more for you?
1: They equally have pros and cons, but truthfully, I love a story that that has a lot of, a lot of steak. If there's a lot, not steak, or, or, um, if for vegetarians, vegetables, uh, uh, I like high stakes and whether, uh, that's all that matters. I mean, the thing with Tootsie was we made it an original musical based on source material. And so it felt like we were writing an original musical, even though we would go back to the movie every, for ideas or for just when we get stuck on something, just to, for inspiration. But we did approach it, we sort of approach it like a short Short story. Here's this guy who is this actor who's told you can no longer do the one thing you love more than anything in the world. And what will you do? And he makes a very desperate and stupid choice. There's High stakes there. And that's a great, that's the great beginning of a story. With 13, you know, 13, especially working with Jason Robert Brown, who really pulled a lot of that from his own youth and from growing up on the, in New York and, and all that. And it was a very personal story, but you try to bring the personal aspects of your life into anything you write, whether they're source material or an original material. What makes something funny? Character character and point of view you you know i get people are saying oh tootsie it's so funny and how do you write all those jokes but the truth of it is it they all come out of character there's no joke in tootsie that another character can say so it's funny comes from developing character over time and and also, these actors, it's crazy because some of the characters in the show that are getting a lot of attention and people are really relating to didn't start off that way. Once we cast them, you cast a Julie Halston or you cast a Sarah Stiles or you cast Senti. any one of these characters, Reg Rogers and, and Andy. um and you work with them and you f- and you learn what they do and you develop it with them Ca- comedy just comes it's kind of crazy because uh you live with the characters in your head and they start to talk to you and they they say funny things in your head yes i'm you know you're writing the comedy it's the same with with the aspect in the lyrics but the characters will tell you how they're funny and then you're it's your job to just actually structure a joke out of it but but it, it really always comes from character and story
0: so tell me about just your logistical process. Like, how do you write? Are you a uh, same day, same time uh-huh. every day writer? You wake up, you have office hours. Like, what's your, you get assigned tootsie. What's next?
1: Uh, you, I have, for me personally, I never stop writing, but I, I get up very early. I get up at like 4.35 in the morning. I walk the dog. I have a cup of coffee and I work from like six in the morning until noon every day in my office. And that's my work time. Even if it's Crap! Even if I end up throwing it out, I make myself write. Six hours. And then, if right. I can get four to six great hours a day, then I'm good. And then throughout the day, I'm constantly writing. I'm making notes. I'm getting ideas. I'll go back, but I, but I, I'm pretty rigid about that time because I get crazy if a day goes by and I don't work because then I feel like so I have to work every day.
0: Was it always like that? Yeah, I'm kind of always been like, like a that. Television trained, mm. they know. Always
1: than. been like that. Always been like that. When,
0: when did you start
1: writing? The- I was a ward of the state. I didn't grow up with a family. I, I was taken my, – my mom, we were really poor, and my mom ultimately had a hard time raising us. And so we became wards of the state through the Jewish Child Care Association. So I grew up in an orphanage uh, in upstate New York. And then ran away when I was like just shy of 14 and grew up on the streets of New York and supported myself doing all these crazy jobs, one of which was I put an ad and there was a magazine back then called Backstage. or I don't know if it's still around or maybe it's a... Uh, oh, yeah. And I would write monologues for actors, for scene work and auditions and stuff. And I would charge $20 to write an original monologue. And I got really... And I was good at it. And that was my first... I called it professional job because I was writing monologues for actors for 20 bucks a throw. This is amazing. So you—you you were the true story.
0: You had no experience, though, in the theater before this. You were, uh, just going
1: to the theater. My mom. My mom was Ed Sullivan's. Uh, secretary for when she was a teenager and grew up in New York here and and was a theater buff and loved theater. And I was just talking about this. I remember she used to sit and make me when I was a little kid, make me watch the Tony Awards Awards when it was first on and say, that's who this is. And so she took me to theater at a very young age. First cinema, you know, she would take me to see, you know, my Fair Lady, Sound of Music, all the, all the, way. but it would take me, my first show was 70 Girls 70 with Mildred Natwick and Hans Conried and then Fiddler on the Roof and, I, and she introduced me to theater and saw that I had a love for it. I never didn't want to do it. I just loved the medium. I was all, always had a sense of humor. I always was sarcastic and sardonic and annoying and, but always through, you know, it was a, it was a, I don't want to say a difficult childhood. We, sh- no, we had challenges as a family, and I was always the one that was able to find the comedy in it, always no matter what the situation. And I knew that that was going to predetermine my destiny, that I was going to do comedy.
0: So we talked about that you have this sacred time, this mm-hmm. four six hours. Is that when you also do your rewriting? Is that, like, what's your rewriting process?
1: Well, it depends what it's. Some of that is dependent on due dates, you know, and the crazy thing about this business is, as anybody will tell you, things go away as quickly as they come. And so you've got to juggle three or four or five different projects at one time. You just have to because you'll develop something for a while and then suddenly it won't go forward and you got to make a living. Sometimes one of the most difficult jobs you have is time management because I'm like, okay. We're doing a reading of Tootsie, so and so, but I sold a pilot, and I know the script is do so and so, and I have a development meeting on this other thing, and and so it's all about knowing what's what to do the soonest. Now I say I sit in my office and I and I work for those hours, but a- some of that's procrastinating, and some of that is just you'll sit for days sometimes, and nothing comes out. You make yourself work and. Nothing comes out. You're just blocked. You don't know. You don't. And then you try to go and work on something else to inspire you, and then you come back. And so there's no structure to. It's just that I I make myself do it. But rewrites are usually it's because they're due. Something's due. There is a calendar and a clock, and he's like, I got to get on that.
0: How much did Tootsie change from your out-of-town tryout
1: to here? I'd say about 25%. I always say if you ever say the words, I want to write a musical, they should be followed by, directed by Scott Ellis. Because he lets everybody be in their lane and do their job, and then he takes all these pieces and creates a symphony from it. And you don't know how he does it. And he's great with comedy. And so he really, he guided David and I a lot during this process. Our earlier drafts, we made a lot of mistakes, was a lot of trial and error with with this one there was you know one of the big questions at hand was what is that show within the show obviously in the movie there's this soap opera well we're going to be on a broadway stage and so we knew there had to be a show within a show and there was a lot of trial and error with what's going to work what we did David and I made a couple of choices and did a couple of readings with actors where we were like well that's not going to work it was about How are we going to let the audience follow that second story? How much do they want to follow it? We learned early on they just want to get back to our love story. They just want to get back to Michael and Dorothy and the stakes at at hand. But we, we realized it needed to be a story that the audience could instantly recognize. So we didn't take them out of the show, but they were, oh, Romeo and Juliet. They know what that is. How much do we want all navigating that show within the show was a lot of work to get to the place where it's just enough, funny enough, not too much, what all that was. And and Scott Ellis and Scott Sanders also uh, and Carol Feynman really guided us. But we made all that was a long that was that was a tough one to get to. And also the headlines it, were changing daily in terms of what what's going on in the world. And, you know, the, we knew we, that we were not writing a political show. But the politics of the show live within the story itself. Sort of figuring that the balance of that out and what that is changed constantly throughout this entire process. And you want to do something that, you know, I think art should always reflect the the era and the time that it lives in, but also needs to live on past that time because you know we're an ever evolving society, and as the pendulum swings in many different duration uh, directions, ten years from now the show has to still feel relevant and has to s- still hit the same emotional beats. So all of that was a, a constantly evolving thing from Chicago on.
0: So in that three year development, was there ever a reading that you went to? That you did that you were like this isn't gonna work this is not working this is not working mm-hmm. and that you were just totally dismayed about and how did you pick yourself up um you,
1: the you know there kind of wasn't every reading moved it forward a little bit even if in showing us things that didn't work every reading especially when since when scott ellis came on moved it forward enough mm-hmm. that We never were dismayed. We never felt like, oh, this isn't going to work. We, we were lucky. And, and I've been in on shows where you do a reading and it's like, well, uh, what, well, we're screwed. This is, there's no show here. This was not everything, every, every reading in a number of ways. One, both in story, but I'll tell you, every reading we did, Scott uh, Ellis and, and Carnahan, Jim Carnahan would bring on another act. Oh, I know somebody that would be good for this. I know. Almost their entire cast was cast in readings. We didn't have auditions. Two people we've auditioned of this entire cast because they would bring someone on. And if nothing else, we found an actor that was perfect. And then we would write for that actor and develop it from there. So we were pretty lucky with, with there was a, a forward momentum from the beginning.
0: And talk to me about previews. Yes. So obviously for Uh, someone who...
1: They're so scary. Scary. (laughs) Really scary. Previews are the... I'm telling you, previews are the scariest part of this job.
0: For obvious reasons. But tell me a little bit about like your first preview of Tootsie in Chicago.
1: Well, actually, our first preview of Tootsie in Chicago was fantastic. It was... We... The audience was hysterical. We knew... Okay... We found the tone. We found the 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 elements that we were very worried about. We knew we were safe. We knew we still had to develop them and grow from there. And Chicago's a very theater-savvy audience there. It's a great sort of blend of urban and Midwestern and suburban. And they're smart theater goers. They see a lot of theater. They were really great in telling us throughout that whole process of what worked and what didn't. And the great thing about it was it was consistent. Basically, nightly, we knew, wow, that section's not working every night. What was working worked continually and kept working and getting better and better as we would change it. But it's really scary because you work for years on something and then, okay, in comes the audience and they're going to tell you. And it is it is really, you've got to have a a healthy bladder for that one.
0: And how do you listen to their feedback? Obviously, if you're writing a joke and if they're not laughing, there's a clue that something needs to change. But do you, how much do you listen to what they're saying and what do you use the preview process
1: for? You have to wear many hats during the preview process. For me, my job is to listen to, I'm listening to the audience. What are they laughing at? Where are they sort of shifting in their seats? Where do you hear coughing and playbills rustling? Where can you hear a pin drop? We have moments, you know, there's a lot of comedy driving the show, but there are also moments of real pathos and quiet in the show and cat what are you hearing in the theater when those moments are happening? How do you hear an audience react? And that's the job. It's kind of split between seeing what's going on on the stage and then hearing how the audience is reacting to it. And And you sort of get a gut reaction to it. I can feel that David and I will sit there together and go, that's great, that's well, that doesn't work with that. You can feel the energy on the stage. How is the pacing? Is the pacing off? Because we need to cut three minutes out of that. You're looking at what, what needs to be cut? What is redundant? Sometimes you just don't know what's redundant until you see it on the stage and you're like, we don't need to say that. We've said it or we've sung it. So, um, it's just, it is a mosh pit of changes and fear and, and relief and all those things.
0: Do you read reviews?
1: Oh, oh, yeah. I read my reviews and others people's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. A lot of people don't read reviews. I'll tell you, I'm going to be honest. And I get, sometimes I get in trouble for saying this, but. I read reviews for, for a number of reasons because I like to see what is consistent. If, you know, you get 10 reviews and they're all sort of saying the same thing about the same section, or the same, then you have to, you need to listen to that and you need to, uh, to be able to put your own, your ego aside and say, you know, I'm maybe not seeing something that they're seeing and I need to be able to look at that. But also, you know, I, I just, um, neurotic that way. I don't always take them to heart. There are quite a few critics out there that I think are really great writers, great journalists, and um, I won't mention names, but I, I think when uh, when a review is done well, whether it's negative or positive or or constructive, um, I think it could be a, a real learning tool to where you have to take the piece.
0: You're one of the few writers that has been very successful on both coasts. What's something that Broadway could learn from Hollywood?
1: Um, uh uh interesting question. One is um using using different colored drafts. Because in television every time you do a new draft it's a different color. Although I hear there's this new system that somebody has come up with, I'm trying to remember the name of it, that helps you keep your drafts in order. Theater is just it, it Listen, I, as a writer, you don't get a writer's assistant. As a book writer, you just you're alone on that island. Um, and TV, you get a writer's assistant and you get somebody to handle all that. Um, You know, I, they're so very different. Me- they're very different mediums, and I think um, they work s- similarly, but but isolated of each other. And I think they should. I think that's good. They're very different art forms, and they've they over the years and years of years have progressed. I think the way they should. I think the challenge. As a writer, is to be able to again put your ego aside and see which each individual art, what that form uh, art form asks of you. I think it's more than what we have to learn about each art form, not what the two coasts have to learn about each other.
0: All right, my last question, which is my genie question. Okay, I want you to imagine <gasps> the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you. Uh, do
1: I get to pick which one, or the what the yeah, you can pick okay, 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 okay? You
0: also get to pick. Which wish or what wish you'd like, uh, he's going to grant you one. What's the one thing about Broadway that drives you crazy, that actually makes you upset, feels like a punch in the gut, that you'd ask this genie to wish away in an instant?
1: I think what I would love, and I, and I think it's, it's being addressed is that theater becomes more accessible to people who can't afford it. Um, I remember growing up, you could get a theater ticket for 10 bucks. You could, for five bucks, you could stand in the back of the house. And it's become, as well as, you know, many, Uh, art forms have become uh, economically driven i just it drives me crazy that i have friends that say i can't come see your show because i just can't afford it and i wish there was a way and there are there's lotteries and there's you know today takes and it's, it's but i wish that it was an art form that made itself more accessible to people who just don't have the money to see it
0: A very good answer. A very good wish. Congratulations on the success of Tootsie and your personal success as well. Thank you. It is so good to see you again. Good to see you too. We'll be crossing our fingers for you on the big night coming up. Go see Tootsie. Thanks to all of you for listening and we will see you next time.